The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning podcast. I am your host for the evening, Spencer Hager. With me tonight, Tyler Cook. We are both CFPs, certified financial planners, and with us, Elijah Lee Toulouse, Working towards CFP in November, right? That's right. November 9th, 8.30 a.m. Do you get nervous when people say you're taking it in November? I do. <laughs> I do. I get very nervous. Whenever people would say that to me, or they would say that to a client, yeah, Spencer's taking it in March, I would say. I hope they have a short memory because if I failed, <laughs> I don't want them to ask me how I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Tyler, how's everything going with you? Very good. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Managing to get some sleep with a new baby? Uh, he's a great sleeper, thankfully. So yeah, that that's uh, that's going well. He's had some health issues that we're working through, but he's uh, he's a fighter. So overall, we're doing well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Eli, good. Yeah, doing well. Awesome. Uh, it's first day of fall this past earlier this week. So yeah, I know. I almost should have wore a jacket today. It was high fifties. It uh, it hit you. Yeah, I'd break out the jacket this morning for my uh, morning walk with the dog. There so. you go. Nice. Well, for today's show, we're going to talk about one of the most popular questions financial planners ask people, which is, when would you like to retire? And we're going to tie that in with the by far most popular answer, tomorrow. Everyone wants to retire early, so that's what we're going to talk a lot about. Uh, but before we get to that, just touch on a couple updates. Always start with some current events. Big one is a name that I had never heard of until Monday of this week, maybe Tuesday, I can't recall which is Evergrande. So Evergrande, if you've been watching any financial news, probably even local news, they've been talking about it. They are a big real estate holding company out of China, very massive, second largest company in China. They make up a huge part of their economy. And they were offering some very generous bonds that most people in the U.S. are not used to, paying eight and a quarter percent interest, which sounds pretty nice right now. Uh, but that being said, interest payments are now coming due, and there is a lot of speculation, essentially, that Evergrande is going to default on payments, which is going to hurt a lot of investors. Eli, had you heard of them before? No, just like you, Spencer. I actually looked into them. They have some exposure in different sectors. Like you said, a big uh, player in China's economy. Um, to your point, interest payments coming due. Uh, they had recently released a statement, or the Chinese officials had said that they wouldn't be able to make those payments. So, I mean... There's lots of concerns here. Um, like you said, it, this is breaking news to us. We've been looking into this. Um, I think bigger picture, too, is um, knowing that we have broad portfolios. How does this impact not just only China, but us in the United States as well? Yeah, because essentially we wouldn't just be bringing up Evergrande because it's a headline. Essentially what they're trumpeting it up to be is – could it be the next Lehman Brothers for China mm -hmm. this time? They're trying to equate it to the 08 financial crisis. Is China going to go through that? And on the news, all you're hearing about is potential missing, potentially missing the default payments. Another – it's not a fun fact. It's an interesting fact. Over 1.5 million Chinese citizens have down payments for homes not built. So now there's the concern, you know, yes, Chinese economy gets hurt. 
not only here, it's the bondholders, people invest in China's economy. And then you've got one and a half million citizens who could be out of a home. Well, I was actually looking into this a little bit more too. So yes, those are the people that are impacted, but all the businesses that are involved with Evergrande, um, think about all the small businesses that have any loans out there with them, they're impacted significantly. So take a moment and think about how that impacts China's economy, even on a smaller scale too. Yep. Tyler, what do you think? The next Lehman? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I think um, what I saw too is that it's likely that China's central bank kind of steps in and saves the day. Some state-funded agency will kind of come in and you know swallow a lot of this up or take care of, of the immediate crisis, but it still speaks to the bigger picture of, of it does remind me of, of 2008 in a lot of ways. And just people are, they get drunk on debt, right? They overexpose themselves, This in this case, a big, large corporation. And it doesn't impact a lot of different people at a lot of different levels within their life. So uh, you know, there's different mutual funds that are out there that own this this company, and they're typically this high yield, you know, uh, high yield, which means more risk, of course, in terms of the bond world. But uh, yeah, you just it speaks to diversification and, and still staying the course with that aspect. But it's going to be interesting because it's the ripple effect that people are concerned about, right? That's what you said, Spencer. It's not just this one company, but what other effects can it have, not only in China, but across the rest of the world? So that remains to be seen. But I don't see a scenario where China and their, and their government doesn't step in to do something. But I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Another nickname for high-yield bonds, I'm not bashing high-yield bonds, is junk bonds, junker bonds. And when I saw eight and a quarter percent interest, that's immediately where my mind went to. Uh, but yeah, Tyler, to your point, another fun fact, Evergrande's debt that they issued uh, represents 11% approximately of all of the high-yield bond coming bonds coming out of China, which is pretty, when you think about that much exposure, pretty much if you have any high-yield bond somewhat exposed to Asia, you're probably somewhat subject to it. So very interesting. I'm sure the news is going to keep running with it. We'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, if you're watching the news, I'm sure you've definitely heard of it already. Well, and that's what reminds me of 08 as well, is you could buy junk bonds, high-yield bonds in mm-hmm. 2008, early 2009, and they were going to pay 20 30% for like three to six months. I mean, it was a weird, weird, weird time, very strange. So this is not quite that. But uh, hopefully it's isolated to this one issue and it doesn't have that ripple effect. Yeah, Home Depot is one of those, right? Didn't they offer really high? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the home builders back then. Yep, they're trying to raise capital. And if you thought people were still going to build homes, which back then it was a little different than now, right? It was the subprime mortgage crisis, and people were worried about all that with the real estate. It's complete opposite of where we are right now in the real estate market. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there was uh, some opportunities there. Mm-hmm. So. Like I said, if this keeps becoming a bigger and bigger story, I can promise you this won't be the last time we talk about it. But uh, but we'll leave it at that with Evergrande. Another interesting uh, news bit I saw that was a little bit discouraging. Uh, Tyler, I've heard you say it a million times. I've heard our founder, John, say it You know, maybe two million times. Economy runs on jobs, jobs, jobs. And I saw something pertaining to Home Depot where uh, recently missed quarterly earnings, not why I'm bringing it up. They had to release their reports, got some um, – focus notice from some of the talking heads, but they're saying they are having a massive problem trying to just get low-wage staffers, and therefore they're missing the ability to get shipments delivered on time, so get ready for the holidays, and it's really hurting them on a economic standpoint too, which is a little bit frightening to me. Yeah, and I'll step in here, and Spencer, you said Home Depot, but I think you meant FedEx. Oh, yeah, thank yeah. you. I was thinking Home Depot because of the bonds. <laughs> FedEx, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> to your point, just being able to get people in the workforce, that's such a strange situation. It's, I find that very odd. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I saw essentially they were citing one specific uh, uh, factory or uh, distribution center where they're operating on 65% of the ideal capacity. I think that was in Portland, if I remember. So uh, that's, a, that's a huge hit, and it's it's been run with. It's become politicized where everyone wants to talk about we can't fill jobs, we can't fill jobs. When I see something as large as FedEx where they said they're offering higher wages than they were you know, far above and beyond what they were doing prior to the pandemic, and they can't get enough workers to get shipments delivered on time, packed, all that, it's scary. Uh, it's incentivizing me to start my, my Christmas shopping early this exactly. year. Exactly. Start now. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I think another part to that, too, guys, is, is it's just it's not just this one industry, too. It, there's, it's every industry that's impacted right now. You know, we have the most job openings in our country's history, but can't get the people to fill the jobs. Uh, my wife is in staffing. It's what she does all day long, working with different employers. And it's just unbelievable how many openings they have, but people are not willing to do it. So. We'll see if that changes here with the unemployment things kind of running out or, or expiring with the extensions. But it is all about jobs. That's what you said, Spencer. It's the economy is all about jobs. You got to have people productive in those jobs, and that's ultimately what people invest in. Right? It, that, that's business. Right? That's the stock market. It represents business. So it's a really, really important point to pay attention to with with uh, the job reports. That's exactly right. So it's one of those stories where I saw it and. <laughs> You know, there's such a disconnect. You hear so many people saying the economy's back, it's ripping, roaring. Let's you know cut with this, and then you see this with a, a big employer like FedEx can't can't keep a full staffing level because of the wages and whatnot. It's uh, two different messages. So we'll keep uh, seeing what happens and and keep talking about it on the radio show. So we'll get into the retirement planning in the next couple of segments. So please stick around. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy. I'm your host this evening, Spencer Hager. With me, Tyler Cook. Both of us are certified financial planners. Uh, with us, Elijah Lee Toulouse. We lovingly call him Eli for short. Uh, working towards that certified financial planner designation. First segment, we were talking a little bit about some current events, uh, Evergrande, uh, a little bit about some job reports, things like that. This segment and the remainder of the show, we're going to focus in a lot on retirement planning. I, I joked about it in the first segment, everyone wants to retire tomorrow. It's a nice little joke, everyone says. But <laughs> if we realistically do want to retire early, and in my mind, I think retiring early pretty much any time before 65. 65 is the Medicare eligibility age. Everyone's concerned about healthcare, so if you can try and get ahead of that benchmark, I think you're doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. That being said, retirement in general is just a stressful and an emotional conversation. We all think of retirement as, as the promised land when you don't have to go back to work. Right. The idea of losing a paycheck, um, having a huge window of time where we're just not working, we're drawing down instead of saving and accumulating, mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit gut-wrenching it scares you yeah i'll share my experience i'm nowhere near retiring but when i went from my high school job to my first big boy job getting a paycheck every week from the grocery store to one paycheck a month it was an adjustment so it was a little mentally challenging mm -hmm. and it can be done it, it can definitely be done i've seen a lot of worked with a lot of people who have done it seen a lot of people who do it it's just i think the more the sooner and sooner you want to retire the more and more methodical you need to be with how you plan and approach it so we're going to touch on a little bit of every single facet of things you should at least have on your radar uh, first one consider working with a financial professional but uh an easy one i'll start with the easy one i'll make tyler 
pick up the weight from there. Expense number, that's a pretty easy one. No, It's not easy to track, but easy benchmark is you need to know what you're spending. That's going to dictate how much you need to save. And from there, you can kind of get into the weeds of how you should be saving within that, that aspect of it. Tyler, what does your mind go to when we start with this? Yeah, I think the context here, too, is important. So retiring before 65, right? So we, we 65 is kind of that mark, like you said, but we're going to focus on that pre-65 number. In some cases, it's before 60. And so the mm-hmm. IRS, a lot of their rules are tied to age 60 and 65, whether it's the Medicare thing, like you said, on, on the Social Security piece, as well as uh, when you can get money out of the accounts that you've been saving and working so hard for for your retirement. So that's a real focal point to, to know and narrow down. To the expense piece, Spencer, because the expense part, you hear Stephen say it over and over again, is you got to test drive that before you're ready to go. So use those last couple of years. And if it's before 65, um, you, know, you may not be even empty nesters at, the, at that point. I've got a few scenarios where I have that clients in their late late 50s, early 60s, and the kids are still in school. The kids are still on payroll, I call it. So you really <laughs> have a hard time to adjust to that retirement lifestyle when you still have the kids in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a, a trend continued across the country for several years now. Your kids are going to school, coming back home for a few years until they find their first kind of real job. So there's that scenario too. So, But, yeah, knowing the number is, is the critical piece for the expense side of it. And once you do that, then we can talk strategy. But that's step one. Right, and I, I think it's a very abstract thought, um, retiring to, prior to age 65, really, because all the things you, Spencer, and Tyler had mentioned – there's so many different variables with all the different costs and the timing of all the other eligibility for those benefits you could possibly enroll in. But knowing that lifestyle is going to be different now, whether you do still have kids in the house or you know you're empty nesters and every day is Saturday now, what are you going to do with your time? So that's another thing as you're preparing your living expenses. You know, it's it's hard to sit here and to say today, yeah, I can envision still spending the same amount, but in reality, you know, it's very hard to tell once mm-hmm. again. And what's interesting, too, in the last year and a half, just with COVID, you know, since March 2020, I've had a lot more conversations about people wanting to retire before 65. Mm-hmm. And that could be for a lot of emotional reasons or just they want to live their life. You know, we always talk about it's not just the destination, but it's the ride. Or you got to enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. I think COVID brought that to a light for a lot of people. And so they're maybe willing to, hey, you know what, I was going to spend under grand a year, but you know, I can get by in 85. You know, things like that. And they're reassessing that expense number based upon other things in their life. And we've all been impacted by COVID one way or another, globally, of course. And that's that trend we see is people trying to push that retirement age sooner to enjoy more of what you know life has to offer. So that is a trend, I think, that is a real thing in the last year and a half. I'm glad you said that because it, it definitely is. I actually was reading something that uh, they said the anticipation to retire early, once again, the benchmark for early is before 65, is the highest level since 2010. I would have to imagine COVID's the reason for that. Made a lot of people reevaluate, reassess. Nothing is uh, forever secure, especially the more older you get and close towards that retirement age. So it's something I think everyone's thinking about. So that being said, yeah, the Federal Reserve's done a few studies on that too over the years, and, and they asked certain questions. You know why people do that, and when we were researching topics for today too, that the Federal Reserve report shows that you know, a lot of people their their main reason to retire before that age sixty five is. The classic, just want to do other things. Um, my favorite one, though, is when somebody comes in and says, you know what, I might get an attitude at work tomorrow, so can I retire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just, you know, that's a fun one to go through, but I think between that and then wanting to spend more time with your family, you know, at that point, grandkids could be in the picture. 
and that's a that's a big uh, what I've seen over the years too a very big trigger or catalyst for people to say you know what it's time to spend more time with the family and let's let's retire before 65. So of course health I think that's the COVID part we talked about health is a big one. And then just, you know, or you just get tired at work. Like I said, you, you have an attitude or you're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to hang it up. So there's multiple reasons, but it is a trend that we're seeing. So talking through the strategies on how to manage that is going to be really, really important, which I know we'll get into that. Yeah, and you did just make me think of something I want to make sure we touch on. I think as financial planners, I say it a lot, and we, we're kind of professional cynics, right? We have to think of pretty much any possibility. And you saying the grand the grandchildren potentially spending more time with the family just made me think about, Think of all the earlier you're retiring, the longer period of time we're accounting for, the more variables we're dealing with. So, yeah, what if you do have grandkids? Do you want to take the family vacation every couple of years? That's going to be an expense. Mm-hmm. That's not just taking the test drive. That what That's what could come down the line. Long-term care, cringe saying it, but it's a realistic expense. You have to think about, you know, can you make it through retirement and can you make it through retirement with what you've saved if something comes up with a long-term care event? Yeah, and onto onto that uh point, Spencer, some of the clients that I have worked with who mentioned wanting to retire early, now early being whatever, earlier than 65 or 50, whatever it may be, they end up actually doing part-time work, uh, pursuing something that they enjoy where there's not really a financial obligation to why they're doing their jobs. So, I mean, that's another thing too, but like if there are grandkids in the picture now or there's other variables, what's your plan? Mm -hmm. Are you going back to work part-time? Are you going back to work full-time? And then we know ageism is a real thing in today's job market. Are you able to find the job that you're able to do and qualified for, or do you have to sacrifice? Yep. So that's that's a critical one. That's kind of the foundation. Know what you're spending. Uh, that being said, the next aspect that I think of is try and think about how you should be saving towards retirement depending on that age that you want to retire. So, Tyler, I think you said it. Depending on what retirement accounts you have access to, there's different restrictions built in for when you can touch that money without penalties, right? 401ks, 403bs, minimum age 55. There's some exceptions to that, so that's not a hard and fast rule necessarily, but um, that traditionally think of it as not until 55. Things like uh, IRA can't touch until 59 and a half. So really, be mindful of that to begin with. And the other aspect is how are you going to be taxed when you pull money out of those accounts in the future? Right, so that's a huge one. Right, yeah, ta- go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, tax diversity is really, really important. But uh, touch back on that 401k aspect. Most people are saving a lot of their retirement nest egg is in their 401k, and if you're going to retire before age 60, you really got to consider what you do with that money because a lot of quote unquote financial planners will tell you, oh, let's roll it over to an IRA. You know, we'll manage it for you. We can do get better returns. You know, all that is lip service if it overshadows the the point of when you can access the money without penalties. So that, that, that's a really, really important point. Yeah, yeah, giving up four and a half years. Exactly right. So we are going to continue this when we come back for the third segment. It's going to keep getting better, so please stick around. You've been listening to Managing to be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning podcast. For the third time, I am your host this evening, Spencer Hager, with me, Tyler Cook, both certified financial planners. And we have Eli with us as well, working towards that CFP designation. So we're going to jump back into retirement planning, specifically for those trying to retire early. Uh, Before we jump to that, I just want to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, find anything interesting, or it it, uh, piques a particular question you have, you can always reach out uh, to our office and schedule a consultation meeting. Easiest way usually to do that, go to our website, www.managingtobewealthy.com. 
Click on Take Action up in the top right corner. We'll set you up with an hour consultation meeting. No free lunch, but we'll go through, talk about any questions you have, see if we're a good fit, and, and take it from there. So, Tyler, we ran up on, uh, against a hard stop on the last segment, but we were just getting started with, with tax diversity and what to do or how you should be saving towards which accounts. Uh, you want to keep going with that or what you were thinking? Yeah. Yeah, so let's go back to that 401k example. So let's say you're you're one of many Americans who has put a lot of their life savings into that retirement plan through work, mainly 401ks is what comes to mind, and you're ready to retire, but you're, you've done so well and you've saved enough over the years. You started, you know, got 20, 30 years in, and you want to hang it up before, you know, age 60. Well, I've heard stories, and I've seen these stories, unfortunately, where during your working career, some, some people have taken what they call in-service distributions because there's another advisor in the background saying, oh, yeah, you know, you can do an in-service withdrawal, hand it over to me, and we'll put it in an IRA, and we'll, we'll get you in something good. And, and it's always about return, right? It's always about rate of return. We can make you more return in our accounts than we can in the 401k. So people get enticed by that. But what they actually end up doing is moving money in from the 401k, which most 401k plans, not all, but most, allow you to access that money without penalty at age 55. So that would be that pre-65, even pre-60 retirement age that we're talking about. And that's critical, right, for, for tax diversity and for a lot of reasons, but mainly because you don't have to pay the penalty. But let's say go back to my example. Instead, you took a, did, let's say you took half the account and did an in-service distribution and put it in an IRA. Now you're in the IRA rules, which are very different than 401K rules. And like you said earlier, Spencer, you cannot get to that money without penalty until age 59 and a half. So there's that potential four-year window there where you've really kind of shot yourself in the foot, uh, depending upon how much money you need and when. So it's it's part of the analysis to go through when in retirement planning is it's first of all we don't care where the accounts are right that's not our that's not our game. It's about what's the strategy. And so what you have to look at is when do you need the money and from what accounts and what what are going to be the tax implications. And that's why tax diversity is so critical. So having money in a 401k is great. That's that's a great tool to use. Having Roth money, I know you're a big fan of that one, Spencer. Roth money is fantastic. And maybe some changes coming with what Congress does with that, we'll have to see. Uh, and then also having what we call after-tax money, or what you might hear as a brokerage account or a taxable account. And if you can really build those three layers to your planning, then you're not pigeonholed into one, you know, you're not forced on one one avenue to take the money out. But it's just it's, it's frustrating sometimes when people come, you know, prospects come in and are interested in what we do, and we look at this and we ask those questions, and it's just like, ugh. They didn't have anybody overlooking their shoulder, right? Nobody told them about the penalty. I'm sure it was buried somewhere in the disclosures, but nobody reads that stuff, right? Let's be honest. And and the fact that nobody's overlooking their shoulder is just uh, sometimes heartbreaking. Yeah, and Tyler, to put more emphasis behind your point right there, um, I know with our clients, we run through a, a projection, and we have this test called the bad timing test where we say, what if you pull from your portfolio or when you're retired d- during a down market? So the market's down. Um ideally the worst time to pull from your portfolio and we're sitting here talking about oh it's only four years right between when you can pull from your ira and versus your 401k we'll take that uh test into consideration that gives you that much more time in case you know obviously we're not trying to time the market here but it puts time on your side that in the event that there is a down market now you're not having to pull from the portfolio versus where if you would have kept that money with the 401k it provides you with that additional flexibility Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, great point. The other part to that is in my scenario, too, like I've seen the scenario where it's come out of the 401k, client wanted to retire, somebody, who, whoever, doesn't have to be uh, that scenario, but they wanted to retire prior to, you know, age, age 60 or age 59 and a half. 
And not only did it come out of the 401k where they could have got to a penalty free, but it also went to the IRA. And then within the IRA, they bought an annuity. And that's just, it drives us nuts when we see that because we know there were double commissions paid by doing that, right? The broker got a commission for opening the IRA and then for buying the annuity within the IRA. And oh, by the way, there's a surrender schedule on the annuity, which means you can't get your money out if you decide to change your mind for typically up to seven years without paying even more penalties and fees. So it's just, you really got to be careful with these things and, and look at the comprehensive picture because you're exactly right, Eli. You pull money out when the market's down and you got to pay a penalty on it. That's a bad, really, really, really bad scenario. I can hear you getting fired up, Tyler. We should have just started with this. I am. I am. <laughs> no, and what I've was... seen it. It's, it happens every day. It's just, it's so frustrating. It yeah. really is. Absolutely. And what I was going to say too is, just because you can touch the money doesn't mean that's necessarily going to be the best idea for your plan. So, in my mind, more times than not, when you're getting to that point where we need to start pulling out of the accounts to fund lifestyle rather than just building them up, building them up, building them up. I do like Roth money. I like tax-free money as much as the rest of us. But think about the benefit you're getting of putting in pre-tax money to the 401k or whatever account it is or putting money into the Roth IRA, right? Yes, you get a tax deduction if you put money into a 401k pre-tax, but it's also tax-deferred growth. All that money is growing tax-deferred. The second you pull it out, you're robbing, robbing yourself of that benefit. So the longer you can just let it sit there, touch it, continue to accumulate with that benefit, the better off you're going to be. So a lot of times, especially if we're getting closer to retirement, we don't have some massive pension, which is pretty rare nowadays, that's going to cover the bill. You're going to want to build up that after, or the taxable bucket, the after-tax bucket Tyler was talking about, and that's going to help foot the expenses for a little bit. So lots on tax diversity that, believe it or not, is us trying to <laughs> drum it down or dumb it down, sorry. Uh, the next part, too, that ties in, if you're retiring early, when are you going to take Social Security? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. Uh, one of the common questions we get with clients, too, when we're going through that onboarding phase is, uh, hey, when do I start my Social Security? And then, you know, we always ask the clients, hey, pull out your uh, crystal ball and tell us, you know, how long you're going to live, mm-hmm. right? There's so many different considerations that go into it and, you know, the goals that clients have within their financial plan. It's all different. And, you know, our go-to answer is it's going to be it depends, right? Yep. So if we know clients are going to, you know, longevity is on their side. That's the primary factor. Um, but if there's other scenarios where maybe that cash flow is needed to fund lifestyle and there's not too many other options, maybe it may make sense to take that benefit earlier. Yes, you're having a reduced benefit, but like I said before, it honestly just all depends. Yeah. It, and the other part, think about it like this. You retire at six. Right now, there's what's called your full retirement age meaning when you'll get 100% of the benefit you're entitled to from when you've been paying into Social Security. Most people at 66, 67 right now. Anything you take before that, they're going to reduce your benefit. You can take it as early as 62. If it's your benefit you're filing on, you can push it out as far as 70, and they'll increase your benefit, which is great. You retire at 65, 66, maybe not too difficult to push it out to 70 if we do think we've got longevity on our side. You retire at 55, even if you take it at that full retirement age, we're talking about a 12-year gap, 11-year gap. That's a long time to go without taking the stream of income. So it's a big one. Well, that's a great point, too. And another factor there, sorry to interrupt you there, but another factor there, too, is if you retire at 55 or before 60, your Social Security statement is assuming you work till those ages you see listed on the statement. So you have a period of years there where you're not even paying in, so the benefit's not going to even be what you see on the statement. I think a lot of people don't understand that part of it because it's, it's misleading. It says you, you know you work till 62, 65. When you have that retirement mindset in, in place that you're going to retire early, 
you're not really thinking about what your statement said at that point on Social Security benefits. But uh, that's a very, very unique scenario, and it's customized to each each case. Yeah, and once again, tie in tax planning. I always have to remind people because it seems like blasphemy. You do get taxed on your Social Security benefits. <laughs> they will tax that. So they, you don't get that all tax-free. They're going to make you pay a little bit in taxes on that too. So don't bank on all of it. So uh, we'll touch a little bit more on this when we come back. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Once again, for the final time this evening, I'm your host, Spencer Hager. With me, Tyler Cook. Both of us are certified financial planners. We've got Eli with us as well, working towards the CFP. Uh, We've been talking a lot about pre-retirement planning for those trying to retire early before 65. This is one of those topics that just flies by for me. There's so much that bakes into it. We could easily fill two, three radio shows with it, and that's probably, once again, dumbing it down. So tons to get into. So for this last segment, we really want to focus on healthcare to start off with. Um, think about retiring early. So many people I've talked to with the healthcare system currently, we talked about how stressful it can be going into retirement how you're going to cover health care, health insurance, before you hit that Medicare age at 65, huge stress for people. Huge stress. So, Tyler. Yeah, I just had a scenario last week, actually, uh, where somebody was looking to retire. They actually retired about a year ago and have had a nice severance payout, which has been great. Uh, But now that's run out, and it's to the point where it's that gap, right? It's about a four-year gap, so age 61 to 65. So, remember, age 65 is when Medicare kicks in. There's this four-year window now that's Obviously, you need health insurance. And uh, most recently, the cost came back for a married couple, not, no dependents, married couple, and they're looking at about $1,300 a month just for health care. So in our planning, we like to isolate that goal because it's a huge impact on the plan, mainly for inflation, which we didn't even talk a lot about inflation earlier, but that's obviously been around in healthcare care for, for many, many years. You're starting to see it in other sectors of the economy. But specifically with health care, we know that as you age – more of your expenses, the expense number you talked about earlier, Spencer, right, knowing that number, mm-hmm. more of your expenses will shift towards healthcare as you get older, just a natural part of aging, right? But also taking into consideration the current costs, that four-year window, if you haven't planned accordingly and all your money's tied up in an IRA, for example, how are you going to pay for it? Right? Maybe you don't have a pension. So that's why that tax diversity is so critical earlier, like we talked about, maybe having a brokerage account or, in this case, maybe an HSA, a health savings account. These are the things you got to plan ahead of time if you really do set that target of pre-65, even pre-60 retirement age. Absolutely. And this is healthcare and retirement. It's a huge factor. We're actually going to be doing another show about this soon. But price is a big part. Right? Everyone gets nervous about price. The other aspect is, to your point, Tyler, maybe you retire and you can get some COBRA. COBRA is essentially it just extends the health insurance you have through your employer if you're, if you're W-2. Uh, it's more expensive, but you keep the same coverage. So it's expensive, but high quality more than likely, which a lot of people love. However, that can only usually last you about 18 months. It uh, it does vary depending on for what reason you get on COBRA. More times than not, it's 18 months. Then after that, you're on your own, right? Current current market, you can get use the ACA, Affordable Care Act Exchange. They're not going to discriminate against pre-existing conditions. That's great. However, usually they're going to limit you on which hospital systems you can operate uh, within. And maybe that's not too much concern when you're in your mid-20s and you're you know, young, healthy. 
not, not to, it almost feels ageist, but the older you get, <laughs> usually the more health problems come around. It's, and that's a big concern. So not just price, quality. And, and that, that scares a lot of people too. So huge, huge consideration when yeah. you're trying to retire. Early. And if you're one of those lucky people out there where your employer offers retiree benefits, definitely look into that because, you know, COBRA is an option, but sometimes they'll offer reimbursement plans for retirees. I think Honda may be one of the companies that does that. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah. And once again, this ties into tax diversity, tax considerations, which we'll keep bringing it back to taxes tied <laughs> in. But Depending on the level of income you're showing, particularly on the price, if you're showing a lower income on paper, maybe it's because you're living off of cash in the bank, you're living off of pulling money from that taxable account or the, the after-tax account, and you're not incurring too much in taxes, there are subsidies out there that make the insurance coverage more cost-effective, more affordable. So that's something to be mindful of because if you're pulling money all out from a 401k to live on, that's all – if it's pre-tax, that's all taxable money. You're driving up your income probably less likely you're going to get some subsidies. So it's not only just, you know, the most tax effective way to fund retirement. It's also what kind of cost benefits can you get on things like healthcare when you're starting retirement. So these things all tie in together. That's why I say we could go forever. Um, but really every single choice you make as you get closer to retirement has a ripple effect on other aspects. And that's why there's a lot of planning that goes into it. So Tyler, anything else you're thinking on healthcare before we sidestep onto the last subject for the evening? Yeah, one more thing, and that's that's just you mentioned the cost. So it's, I mentioned the premium cost of you know thirteen hundred bucks a month for married couple, age sixty. That's one cost, right? You also still have to factor in your out of pockets, and you're of course you're deductible, and of course you're, if you have a major scenario, then you're out of pocket maximum. So I think people get focused on what their premium is, and again, this ties back to not only tax diversity but proactive planning, having that cash reserve in place, perhaps even within your HSA account. And that HSA becomes a, a really kind of a multi-use tool for this planning. It's not just for healthcare, but it can actually almost be thought of like another IRA once you get to that. Uh, I believe it's the age 60, 65. So the point being is if you're going to retire before 65, you've got to prep ahead and have that cash on the sidelines to pay for healthcare because the cost is not going down. That's not happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but that's, that's healthcare quick run through on that. Last one I'll touch on ties in with uh, RMDs, required minimum distribution. So once again, when you're thinking about different funds for potentially uh, helping with expenses in retirement, so the current retirement or required minimum distribution age was 70 and a half a couple years ago. They moved it up to 72. RMD is subject to, or accounts subject to RMD are IRAs, traditional IRAs, not Roth IRAs, because that's all after tax money. 401ks, if you're not working, all those, the IRS essentially mandates you to take a specified amount, depending on your age, from the account. And once again, that's all going to be taxable money. Uncle Sam needs to, to get his taxes from the retirement accounts every <laughs> once in a while. So I think of this for two reasons, and, and you both can jump in. One being, once again, that's a pretty large gap mm -hmm. to cover if you're 55 retiring and you're not required to take money out until 72. That's a long time. Maybe not a bad thing. The other aspect I think of is, once again, tying in the tax diversity of be mindful of what that tax it's going to be. If you have a large retirement account, more than likely you do if you're retiring early, how big is the tax bill going to be when they start making you draw down the account at 72? So I'll piggyback off of that, Spencer. If we know we have this huge tax bill or a bigger tax liability upcoming, you know, we retired early, and before we, let's say, start Social Security, maybe we explore the idea of doing Roth conversions. So we were retired early. We let's almost 
make it simple here and we don't have a fixed stream of income yet, whether that be social security or a pension, if you're lucky enough to have one, um, we, we can take advantage of the tax options, right? We can look to see, connect with your accountant and review how much money can I convert into that Roth money. That way, you know, we're not having to pull money from our traditional IRAs, like Spencer had said earlier in the show, and not letting us reap the benefits of all that tax deferred growth, but also in the future knowing that Roth IRAs also don't have RMDs. We're also setting ourselves for long-term success where we're not having to pull even more money, essentially reducing our RMDs by doing those conversions. Absolutely. It, it, but what if they change the rules? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the what if question. <laughs> Don't put that out there, that's, Tyler. That's Don't it. put that in the yeah, world. You hear that. You hear that <laughs> conspiracy. I've heard it forever. But, I mean, it's we're about to see here soon, right, if, if they ever pass a, a tax bill. And, and there could be some changes to these things like Roth conversion. So um, maybe not the Roth status of the money. You've heard that floated for years mm-hmm. where they would force you to start taking distributions out of that. But there would be pitchforks on the capital steps, I think, if that happened. So I think the part <laughs> being – you got to watch that, right? Because it's it's stuff changes, and so you want to be flexible. It goes back to that point about tax diversification. Don't have all your money in one four hundred one k, all one brokerage account, all one Roth IRA, but have a little bit across each one of them, and give yourself options. Absolutely right. This is one of those subjects you said it, Tyler. It's all about flexibility. Chances are, if you can retire early, you're doing okay. I've let I've read a lot of things, talked to people where they've done great, they've saved a lot, and it's all about it. If you would have started planning maybe ten years ago, we'd be in a lot more flexible scenario. So. I hope listeners out there got a couple good tidbits, learned a few things, and I hope you come back to listen next time. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN.